Hey, we want to welcome everybody to another episode of You and the Law podcast show. I am one of the co-hosts of the show, Virgil Green. And as always, the special guy who sits over to the right of me, who goes by the name of Chief Swaggy, Swaggy, <laughs> Swaggy, the ultimate Swaggy one. Pastor, how you doing? Because I, there's just nobody else well, on. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting. Hey, I'm, I'm giving. I'm giving you your intro, and and our, our guest tonight uh, has a special introduction. So, you know, <laughs> but you know, we we got we got we got to just uh, get your intro out the way. I appreciate you, man. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, brother. Doing good. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. So, hey, we want to thank all, all those who have tuned in to listen to us live as we stream on Facebook Live and as we stream on our YouTube channel, as well as streaming <clears throat> live on LinkedIn. So, we thank you for tuning in and joining us. And those who are watching us live on LinkedIn, you can um, put your uh, comments in the chat room. Really can't see you. Uh, on our screen, but uh, if you got some comments regarding the topic tonight, uh, put those in the chat. So, um, we got a special guest, and uh, we're going to introduce Pastor Matt Porter. And uh, we thank you for coming on the podcast tonight and talk with us about uh, a very informative conversation. So, we're looking forward to. Uh, to talking with you about this uh, uh, topic. And uh, uh, tonight we're going to be talking about uh, when white parents have the talk uh, with their black children. And so kind of, Pastor, I'm going to kind of give a little background to how you and I came into the contact and then we'll get into uh, for you. Tell tell us about yourself, your family and, and what you're doing. Uh, in uh, in, in uh, Chickasha, oh, well, Newcastle, Oklahoma. Newcastle, yes, sir. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, a couple of months ago, uh, through another mutual friend, reached out to me and uh, uh, wanted me to, to connect with you about uh, an issue that you were dealing with, and uh, reached out to you, and you kind of explained to me what was going on, and and uh, had a great conversation with you, and. And from that, you know, I, I got to thinking, uh, you know, Pastor, that this was something that would be a, a good topic to talk about on our podcast because I'm pretty sure there are other families like yourself who have experienced something like this here. And it's something that not only we always think about this as a talk that, you know, me as a black father, to see Humphrey as a black father, have with our sons and daughters, but uh, it, it's something that uh, uh, not just we have to have that conversation uh, as someone uh, as yourself. So, Pastor uh, uh, Porter, thanks for coming on and uh, tell us about yourself and uh, what you do. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited uh, to chat with you guys. Uh, but yeah, I'm a pastor. I have been uh, really my whole life. I am uh, it's my adult life, at least. I'm 45, but got into this pastoring when I was 19 years old. And honestly, that's the only life I kind of know. I uh, went to college along the way, 
uh, thought I was going to be a teacher and a coach. I actually have a political science degree. Uh, thought I was going to coach basketball one time in my life, but man, just Lord called me into ministry and have uh, man just done that ever since. Uh, been married now for 18 years. Uh, my wife and I adopted two Ugandan boys. Goodness, man, time flies. So they are 14 and 15. So they were two and two and a half. Uh, wow. So understand they are normal spoiled american boys now and so uh, <laughs> but yeah. they've been with this basically forever it's the only two kids we got is our two ugandan boys who are uh just the love of our life just incredible young men right now trying to yeah. figure life out yeah so so how did they uh come about that you and your wife <laughs> um adopted these two young young boys yeah. So a lot has changed in the last 13 years, but, uh, man, we just kind of always, once we got married, we thought we felt a little bit of a calling from the Lord to adopt, but quite frankly, thought it would be later in life, uh, after some bio kids, et cetera. But we did run into some fertility issues and kind of went down that road for a while. And then got to the end of it where, <clears throat> you know, if, you, if you've been down that road at all, man, it gets to be a lot of, oh, this percent, that percent, this dollar bill, this dollar bill. And man, quite honestly, me and uh, my wife, our desire just to have children was much greater than our desire to have, quote, our children, so to speak. And so, man, when we got the news finally from that fertility specialist that said, hey, here, it, it doesn't look great. Man, we'd been praying for an answer. I mean, we just felt like God had told us to start our family uh, about two years before. And if I'm being really honest, I just felt like I wasn't getting an answer from the Lord because it wasn't happening. And then, man, that day in that medical office, as crazy as it sounds, uh, man, it was an answer like uh, as loud as I could hear. My, my wife that day, you guys are married, uh, didn't shed a tear. It was just finally, this is an answer from the Lord. Let's roll. And so I believe that might have been the month of September that year. I was already going to Uganda uh, for a church trip. Uh, we had partnered with a uh, organization uh, that worked in Uganda. And so quite honestly, I was going for the church's benefit, not mine. And so I was taking uh, three guys with me. It was really just a trip to, hey, what can we do to help this village that we support for Christmas? And then come back and pitch the idea of the congregation and let's try to raise some money. Well, after we decided we were going to adopt, I actually changed my plane ticket to go three days earlier. Uh, really just to go visit some babies' homes. And uh, it's it's interesting. It's it's the world we're in, but via social media, saw a lot of American families that have done that. And so just following in some footsteps, and uh, I don't know, I probably went to 10 to 12 uh, babies' homes over there. And my goal was just to find a, a babies' home director in a couple hours that I thought, man, I, I feel like I could trust them, uh, and then find an attorney. So I met with 10 babies' homes and probably three different attorneys and just kind of said, Lord, come on, give me something that I can pick somebody. And long or the short, really weird, wasn't the plan. But I actually met my two boys while I was there. That was not the plan, uh, if I'm being honest. it was My wife wasn't even with me. Uh, it, it was not a child shopping trip. Like, it felt really weird. Uh, mm -hmm. But, man, uh, that was I uh, came home after our trip. Uh, that was the week of Thanksgiving. Uh, my boys were in our home March the 10th. Uh, so just five months later, uh, they were that was, that in was our house. Quick. Even yeah. in those days, uh, really about 12 months was about the average. And now mm -hmm. it's years if you could even figure it out in Uganda. But yeah, it was it was it was a quick deal. So we went from uh, no kiddos to uh, two kiddos real, really quick. And the plan wasn't to, uh, quite honestly, our plan. Mm -hmm. So in adoption, you do a 
a home study where you write, you kind of have to get qualified to adopt what you say. And the social worker deems if you're responsible enough for a baby or a 16-year-old or whatever. So we wrote ours for two and under. And uh, not that you can't change that, but it does take money and time. And I'm already over there. And the first boy I meet, who is my older son, who's Paul, I'm told he's two and a half and I'm talking back to my wife and telling her, I, this is weird, but maybe I think I found a kid who's adoptable. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids are not adoptable for a number of reasons that are in babies' homes. But mm-hmm. long story short, uh, she said, oh, he's too old. And so I went on and came back through that baby's home, met another little kid. And I don't have children. And so I don't know how old kids are. And I saw this one kid who was crying all the time. He seemed young. So mm-hmm. I asked the mamas, I said, is he adoptable? And we got home and man, we switched back and forth. And I'll tell you one day, my wife walked in and said, I think we're supposed to get both of them. And I'll be honest with you. I said, I don't think that's what we're supposed to do. Like we don't, <laughs> yeah. we don't know yeah. if we're good at this. And so long of the short Lord moved my heart and we adopted two boys from Uganda. And okay. yeah. So are they, are they brothers? Are they uh, biologically? No, uh, they're six okay. months apart, six months. Okay. Apart. Okay. So they were at the baby's home for a year. Uh, together, so as much as a two-year-old could know one another, they quote mm-hmm. each other. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you um, you guys adopt two two boys, come back here to the states. Yeah. Um, how how has that transition been uh, up up to now, especially yeah. with you being, you know, uh, in the ministry business. Uh, yeah, and I'm pretty sure was that were there some as they got older were there some challenges there uh, with them or, or you know language barriers or anything like that? No. So again, remember two and two and a half. So they didn't speak a ton anyway. And really, the official language in Uganda is English, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean they that's in the banks and the business. But there's certainly a lot of dialects and, and languages per kind of. Uh, culture where they're at, uh, village, et cetera. So our boys technically kind of spoke what they call Lugandan. But honestly, uh, the biggest challenge initially was at the baby's home, uh, the mamas would cook the food uh, behind closed doors. And then when the food shows up, it's time to eat. Well, you know, that doesn't happen in our house. We don't have a closed kitchen. So initially, the most difficult thing is we're cooking dinner, but they think it's time to eat. And so we're like, no, it's not time to eat. We got to cook it but it feels like, oh, you're starving me out type thing. And so that was kind of the, we got through mm-hmm. that. We did some things like, you know, making some, uh, we made some pizza together so they could watch us do it together. And that was initially uh, the first kind of uh, difficulty. Uh, and really it was just like, honestly, we don't have any other children, but I, I would probably compare it to just having kids. Uh, mm-hmm. I always told people because of their, upbringing the first couple years, I always thought, I don't want to be naive that something couldn't rear its ugly head, you know, because the first year in their life was not great. But man, I'd say they have had a very normal uh, American boy life so far. Mm -hmm. It's been very Mm -hmm. normal there. Mm -hmm. Tons of friends involved in every sport you can name. We, uh, man, it's just like like they've been here forever. Yeah, yeah. Do they have have an accent or... I don't think so at all. So okay. I, what I do notice is we will be, and I would say my boys just look like any African-American, but sure. Sure. a lot of times we will be places, uh, maybe it's at a ticket counter with an African-American and they will always ask, where are you guys actually from? So 
there's clearly a unique look about my boys that look Ugandan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some Nigerians on our staff. And so, you know, every, <clears throat> every village uh, tribe, so to speak, may have a look about it, my boys. But they just mm-hmm. look like American boys to me and talk yeah. like them too, you know. They even yeah. got a little country small town accent at times, you know. You got that uh, Newcastle, uh, <laughs> that Newcastle accent. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Hey, for those who are just now tuning into the podcast, we got on uh, Pastor uh, Matt Porter, and uh, tonight's topic we're going to be talking about uh, when pipe when white parents have the talk with their black children, and to set this up, you know, Pastor, <laughs> at, at some point this was probably something that you and your wife. Uh, probably didn't expect to happen. Yeah. And, um, uh, but there are some things that have occurred. And so um, have, and I know previously you and I had spoken that you <laughs> stated you've made it pretty intentional to make sure that these two boys are around people. You know, like you, you mentioned to me before about getting a haircut. They go sure. to black barbers and stuff like that. Yeah. So, what has been your experience with the black community as, yeah. and I'm not going to, you know, even though you adopted these uh, two young boys, but you've had them since you're two. So you're, you're their father. So, That's right. so what has been your experience with, with the black community yeah. uh, with, with these two, two young boys growing up? Virgil, I'd like to kind of modify that. I think uh, if we could just kind of talk about both communities. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I was going to yeah that yeah, uh, right. the black community as well as as well as the white community, right. especially yeah. when especially when they were young. I mean, you, you're talking two years old, so they were still you okay. know learning to you know to walk yeah. and sure. you know everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so again, work for church, and so I, I think it was received well that we're adopting boys. Now, you you hear it, and this could be any adoption, but. <laughs> You, when it's international, you hear this statement, and I don't know where the, the heart of it is, but why would you go overseas to adopt when there are plenty of kids here, et cetera? Yeah. So you heard that. Oh, you heard, again, they're two and two and a half, so they don't necessarily understand when we're going through a Walmart line. But I don't think it's necessarily, oh, uh, trying to be mean, but like, you know, cashier might say, are these two adopted? You know what I mean? Just right in front of them. And mm-hmm. I think people are uneducated and they don't, they don't understand. Maybe uh, it's funny. You bring the hair up. And so when I, I got my boys in the baby's home, <clears throat> they just shave their head. I mean, there's no edge. They just shave the head, you know? And so mm-hmm. for the first six months, I thought, what's so hard about that? I can do that. So I did that. <clears throat> but after a while, uh, man, I wanted my boys to look good. You know what I mean? I want them to have straight lines and I want them to look, uh, well, and so I was on a mission uh, to get their haircut. And so just a quick funny story. I went to a barbershop for a while on um, on 23rd Street in Oklahoma City. Great barbershop, but it just took forever. It'd taken, you know, 30 minutes in the middle of the day, go over there, and then mm-hmm. oh, yeah. so crowded. And then <laughs> it's a three-hour three adventure. And yeah, so- I, I, back then, I wondered if that was – Scissorhand used to have a barbershop on 23rd Street. You know, funny enough, Scissorhand's brother – worked at Adam and Sons where we got our haircut. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you went to Adams. Okay. Okay. Great. Jonathan cut their hair. He was fabulous. Yeah. Know him real well. I thought, man, surely there's someone who can cut their hair on the South side where we live. We lived in South side, Oklahoma city. 
And so, man, I was on a mission to find a barber and just kind of a funny story. I, I stopped by a place and I was getting so frustrated because nobody could cut their hair. And I walked into the lady and I had my car running. Wife was in the car and just left it run right from the shop. And I walked in and I don't remember what the name of the, the place was, but it was kind of trendy sounding. And so I walked in and it probably sounded like I was the racist. I asked the question, can you cut black people's hair? <laughs> and the lady said, oh, of course. And I said, listen, ma'am, like I need them super crispy right here. I mean, just, you sure? Mm -hmm. And she talked the language, man. She said, oh, you're talking about an edge up. And I'm like, I don't, I probably, let's do, I mean, if you can do it, man, she had them back here, man. I, I was so furious, man. And so I, I just deemed unfairly white people can't cut black people's hair. I don't think no. that's fair. But after that day, I said, I'm not trying it again. Yeah. So ever since then, I found Divine Master Cuts on 80, Southwest 83rd and Penn. Roger Neely, uh, who cuts my hair, uh, mm -hmm. who cuts my boy's hair. Uh, he is literally like family to us. I, I bet he's cut our hair for 10 years. We were probably two years into him cutting the boy's hair. And you know how it is when you got someone that cuts your hair. You feel like you're cheating on your, your barber. And so one day out of the blue, he asked me, when are you going to let me cut your hair? And I told him that story I just told you. And I said, Roger, can you cut my hair? Because I've made the conclusion that white people can't cut black people's hair, but can you cut mine? And, he said, and I don't really care much about my hair. So I said, let's do it. And so ever since then, I think 10 years, he's cut our hair. And uh -huh. intentionally, I think there's number one, I want him to have good haircuts. And I found a guy that can cut really well. Yeah. But there's some intentionality there, too. I think there's some culture there that I want to make sure my boys get that, quite frankly, they, they don't get from me. Uh, but mm -hmm. I think it's important for them to be around. <clears throat> uh, and, and growing up in Newcastle, um, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no dummy. We are probably less than 5 to 6% yeah. African-American in this town. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I do think it's growing um, within – so out of 100 and – oh, I think they probably have 160 kids in their class – there are probably, uh, there's upwards of close to 10%, I would say, are probably black students now. So I do think it's changing a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and so along the way, man, they have, they have had some things, uh, things I can remember, unfortunately, as a kid that I even heard, like uh, their hair was always a big deal. All, all the kids want to touch their hair. And why is your hair different? And mm -hmm. uh, oh, even the, the kind of a cruel, like your, your skin is black because you play in the trash. But if I'm being honest, like I just thought they're in fourth grade. I think it's, it's probably not the kid. It's probably mom or dad at home who probably has the problem. And so mm -hmm. I don't know if we need to address it. I just want to continue to, to, to speak into them. Uh, you got hair because God gave you that hair. You know what I mean? And so like, it's special for you and mine's special for me, how God gave me mine. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I had friends though. So I asked that what you just said, I asked the question to several of my black friends and what does it look like? And I, I'm going to be honest. I had friends tell me, Matt, you've got to start having the talk pretty early. And mm -hmm. I have a friend in California and, she, and she's, man, she's blunt, man. She is a great friend. She's helped me tremendously navigate situations over the last 10 years but she said, Matt, you, you've got to make your boys understand in the nicest. I mean, she's, a, she's an African-American woman raising children. But she said the words, they're not normal, so to speak. They can't do certain things that other kids can. And this is coming. Mm -hmm. But man, if I'm being honest, man, I just felt like we hadn't. I, I just was torn. So we hadn't faced some heavy stuff yet. And mm -hmm. I thought, man, I don't know. Like, do I, do I give them this what feels very negative if we haven't faced it? And I'm just... Being honest, like I just didn't know what to do. So on one hand, I've got this advice, like you got to do it. Yeah. But also coming from a mom who dealt with her a whole life and is still dealing with it, 
Whereas I think my boys flew under the radar. I think it could be a little bit because of what I do. And I do have them around church folk. Doesn't mean church folk aren't racist, <laughs> but at the same time, yeah. I think they escape some of this. Uh, but as they get older, and I've had my friends tell me this, uh, they are no longer cute little black boys. I mean, they are grown looking black young men. men. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're starting to face some stuff that, Darn it. Uh, you men understand far more than I do. I wish we weren't, but uh, we're there. Uh, we, yeah. We're definitely entering into the, the time. So, yeah, we've been forced to have a little more conversations. And, man, I would say to, and you would know this probably too, but even to a white parent, they know more than you think they do. They've experienced and begin at 14 years old processing way more, even with their black friends, uh, than you would even think you would, they would know. And so I don't think I opened their eyes to anything you know, with these talks in the last two years, but we've talked and just kind of said, this is how uh, we had a situation where our, our football team, my, my boys haven't played football. One of my boys played football this year, it's past year. And the football team in eighth grade is just, a, I mean, they're unreal. And mark my words, Newcastle is going to get a state championship the next couple of years. But uh, after well, the season, what division, what division is Newcastle? Is that uh... currently four, but man, we're knocking on the, I mean, I think we're number one or two size wise in four. We'll be five in a couple of years. So is, is uh Millwood in, in Newcastle's? Three. No. Millwood is a three A. Yeah. Okay. You know, you know what, you know what, Virgil? Don't talk about football. You know nothing about football. Pass the carry on. We went to high school in New Mexico. Pass the please. Okay. What, what are they? What are they? Four C, four D football. We, we're four A. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, in uh, in New Mexico, what are they? Four, four D, four E. Well, I forgot. Anyway, pass the carry on about yes, the football. Sir. Yes. So we. Uh, so they're really good. They were undefeated for two years. They're sixteen and zero and. The last night, this is super fun. The coaches are incredible. And there's kind of a decision that parents are going to go, you know, we're going to go toilet paper the coaches' houses. Parents are involved, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But it, it finally got, to, it's, it's just not the same. And so I thought, I don't know that my black children can run through the neighborhood at nighttime toilet papering a house like I could have mm -hmm. when I was 14 years old. And so... Man, luckily, uh, we had decided we were not going to allow our boys to do it anyway. They actually chose, and it's really just one of my boys, he actually chose, he didn't want to. Some of his friends weren't, actually even white friends that thought it was kind of silly, didn't want to do it. But I just, we had that conversation like, dude, it stinks, man. And again, I'm here for toilet paper. And as long as we go help him clean it up, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, we did, I did a lot of that as a kid myself. And so I wasn't necessarily anti that. And so we had to have some conversations, man. It's just not the same, bro. And so I hate it, but it's just the reality we're in here. And so that's some of the starting of the more difficult conversations, I would say, that are just more like, it's not anymore just like, oh, ignore what you're hearing, which I think is okay when they're little. Mm -hmm. It's the simple, that's not true, man. Whatever they say, it's not true. And I still want to, I still want to give life to my kids and tell them that, but I also want to be realistic also and make yeah. them know that there could be some limitations put on by other people, not by what God's given you. I mean, you, you are, yeah. you are ready, but yeah. Darn it. Yeah. That's where we live. Let me, let me ask you this, Pastor. Have you had to have any certain type of discussions at their schools or in the neighborhood um, with maybe parents or teachers regarding some noticeable um, <clears throat> treatment? Yeah. So I, I would, I, I, one thing comes to my mind that uh, there is a 
there was a child at school that had said uh, multiple times the N word uh, that, and actually been, uh, I think punished because of it, but great. I, I was a great kid. I, I, lo- I actually coached this kid. I love this kid. I have nothing bad about this, to say about this kid. I think this kid has just been raised in a small town, et cetera. And so there's, there's issues where I do think that they address, uh, but I don't, I, I personally don't know that in any school in rural Oklahoma that saying the N word necessarily, it doesn't appear to me, uh, quantifies other kind of behavior, you know, behaviors that should be penalized, so to speak. And so I, I think that, man, I think they're, they're a help. Um, I think principals we've had, teachers we've had, have been very helpful if I want to have a conversation with them. Um, but I think we've got a long ways to go still. And you're, I'm learning more of that all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Again, for what it is, I think my boys have not, thankfully, so far dealt with this as much as many boys probably have in our community. Yeah. Hey, Pastor, uh, Chief, I want to get to one of the comments in the chat room. Uh, Tony Hollis, uh, appreciate you as always uh, tuning into the podcast. He has a a comment uh, early on. He stated uh, respectfully, uh, golly, but it has always been a mystery or thought to me but why would a white family fly across the country to adopt a black child i'm not uh being judgmental sure but then he goes on to say uh i mean there are many black children who are who are locked into broken homes or bound around from uh, or bounced around from one foster home to another um then he goes on to add to that is that that didn't catch uh, the ages of the kids, so they were young. Uh, again, I think you know, kind of going back to that, something that you, uh, you know, touched on, how you all uh, decided that this was something that you're going to do. Yeah. And I think a lot of people will say, just like you mentioned earlier, hey, there is a lot of kids here who, uh, who could be adopted. Sure. And I'm gonna say this: I just don't think if if that's where you God sent you to sure. Hey, that was your, your following. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think anybody should pass any type of judgment. And I don't think our listeners are, are, sure. are doing so, but there again, and I can even say this as uh, in the black community, you know, you hear a lot of people who, I don't think the black community adopt outside of our race. You don't see a lot of that. You see a lot of uh, uh, white people like yourself adopt outside of your race. And I think that's a com- another conversation uh, as to why that is, because sure. if we really have that honest conversation with ourselves, Pastor Porter, you don't see a lot sure. of people who look like us adopting outside of our race. Well, let me let me let me say this, Virgil and Pastor, let me say this. Uh I think that I don't I think that happens informally. I don't think it happens at the percentage that we're talking about, but informally foster children, I think that occurs. Uh I think people take kids in, which is not the same as you being their legal parent. Sure. But I, I'm I'm gonna say this and I've heard this for years and years and years, but there's so many kids over there, I think it looks at the same way of children have no control over who they're born to and where they're born. They have no control over the situation. 
over the conditions that they are raised in or whatever. So my thing is, if you open your heart, if your heart is about doing what's best for that child, it doesn't matter where that child is from. Sure. I, get what, I get what Tony's saying, but that's in a perfect world. Yeah. Uh, is and, and there is a lot of steps to go through to adopt um, children who are born here in the USA. But you cannot, <laughs> those two boys, um, they had no control over the parents they were born to. They had no control yeah. over that. Someone who, and then what I hear you say, you were on a, you were on a mission. Yes, sir. You're on a mission. So you, I believe my faith directs me to believe that there's a reason for that. Yeah. I believe there's a, there's a reason you were patient. God gave you a message to go over there, but really and truly who cares what parents look like if it's, if the house is full of love and, and things like that, we, sure. we've gotten beyond the stage where we have to say, well, kids belong here and kids belong there. Kids belong in a good, loving home Sure, that where there's love, where there's uh, teaching kids. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, Pastor, my hat goes off to you because mm-hmm. you're, you're one of the few people that have adopted kids who may not be uh, of the same ethnicity that have that are dealing with reality, right? Uh, I, I think you know when you when you are a you, you're telling them you know those kids, and I know I think the biggest problem that you may have had was that I'm not speaking for you is that how do I have that talk? Yeah, how do I have that talk? Maybe yeah. male. How do I have that talk? But what you did is you 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 realized there was an area you weren't comfortable with, and you found resources to for say, sure. you know, just. I don't think people realize just going to a black barbershop because that's where a lot of things are. That's a lot. That's where a lot of true stories are told. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of questions. So my hat yeah. off to you for that, uh, opening your home and your heart uh, to these, these two young men. And I think, you know, you mentioned the barbershop, you know, as Chief Humphrey just mentioned, you're going to hear a lot of straightforward conversation. Uh, oh yeah, from from young and old, and so they're going to they're going to they keep it real. Oh yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and so no yeah, and, and so you know, Pastor, let's let's kind of jump into yeah. the 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 why, uh, how this came about. Uh, your son, what, fourteen years old? That's Is right, at the fourteen year old. Yes, sir. Uh, in a class, I'll let you explain what happened yeah. uh, to give a look. Yeah, so I was actually uh, eating lunch with a buddy of mine. Uh, so it's, you know, time flies. It's probably been two and a half months ago now, and got a phone call from the school, and I thought, I wonder what they want. Our church is really close to the school, and so we help with a lot of things. And he said, uh, "Man, I just uh, Matt wanted to make you this is the principal, and I'm on speakerphone with the other principal, and said, I want to make you aware uh, of a situation. Uh, your kid was in an, I think he said altercation with a young lady last week." And I thought, okay. And he said, to be honest, I just want to make you aware because the dad is actually filing charges. Uh, and I said, well, what happened? What do you mean? And he said, well, evidently uh, the kids were arguing and your um, son poked this girl with a mechanical pencil. I said, I'm so confused. And I said, and he actually on that time said, he's filing charges for assault. And he said, with a dangerous weapon. And so I'm literally sitting across from a friend of mine in this public place. I'm like, what? And so I just was like, oh, oh, 
okay. And so I, he just goes again, uh, it's, we've taken care of it. It's not a big deal to us, but I wanted to make you aware if the cops are going to call you. And I thought, what in the world is going on now? So I drove to Newcastle, <clears throat> showed up, and I thought, I'm going to check my son out and ask, why in the world don't I know this? So I'm pretty dad mode now, like what's going on? But then I thought, man, I want to talk to these principals face-to-face and try to understand again what happened. So I go in, and the, the story's the same. Just said, man, we found out a couple of days after it happened. Uh, evidently, he poked here, this girl who was wearing a sweatshirt, that's what they told me, with a mechanical pencil. And I did stop them, and I said, hold on. Is I want to get the facts. Is everyone using the term mechanical pencil? Because I know my child well enough he didn't stab somebody, but a, a number two pencil, that's a little different than a mechanical pencil that when you drop it, the lead breaks. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, yeah. No, everyone says mechanical pencil, et cetera. And I said, okay. And I said, they're filing charges? He said, yeah, we looked. There's not a mark. We didn't know for, I think, a couple days. And we actually brought them in and talked to them both. And their story was exactly the same. She said something, they're sitting down and he kind of goes over and just kind of pokes her. She says, stop it. He stops it. I think she actually breaks the pencil. Uh, Really didn't seem like that big a deal. And I think about that time, several are talking and the teacher calls them up to the front and says, hey, y'all need to stop talking. Bell rings, go to class. Nobody's in trouble. I think it's two days later. I don't really know. Maybe the dad somehow found out and notified the school. The teacher has no idea this happened in the classroom. In fact, I called the teacher that night. I know him well. And his exact words were, Matt, I can assure you there was nobody assaulted in my classroom. Uh, I'm not that old. I'm getting older. But I'm certain that didn't happen in my class. Okay. Okay. This is just bizarre. And so then I thought, well, what's next? Like, I literally don't know what's going to happen next. So principal said, we've done everything we're going to do. I mean, literally, when I set them down and they had the same exact story, I sent him to to class. And he said, Matt, your kid has been. And I, I was a little frustrated. I said, why wouldn't you tell me this, sir? And he said, Matt, nothing really happened. Like, your kid's been here for two years, and he's never been in my office one time. Uh, I know your kid super well. And that he said he was sorry. She didn't seem to be bothered. It wasn't a big deal. There was no mark. And because I know your kid well, I think he told me, I said, I sent her back, and I looked at him, and I said, Timothy, quit being stupid. Go to class. And he goes, it was over. And so even as a dad, I just, you know, I just want to be mad at somebody. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I said, would you be mad at your child for not telling you? And he said, no, Matt. I mean, he didn't get lunch detention. Like, it just wasn't a big deal. The only reason I even called you is because I got this email notifying us that he's pressing charges. And I thought, goodness, this dad needs to know this. Mm-hmm. So I said, is there any way you can tell me who this is? And of course you can't. And so I said, okay, let me check my kids out because I want to figure it, get to the bottom of this now. And long of the short, <clears throat> I found out that it was a police officer, which I thought, this is weird, a police officer. I suspected for Mars City, but had no idea where this man worked. And so then I uh, got to talking to some people, found out that he was an employee in the city of Norman. And so I know some people over there and I just called to try to get a beat on this person. Uh, And so they actually said, let me call, let me check it out. And supposedly wants to call me. And one of this retired officer says, can I give him your phone number? I said, of course, man, you can give my address. I would love to talk to him. It sounds, maybe it's a misunderstanding. It sounds silly. I can't, Mm -hmm. he's not really pressing charges, I don't think. And never calls, never calls, never calls. And then I just started hearing some things and I'm even reluctant to to tell anyone, but just from some younger people, uh, from his even family that just said some statements that I thought were interesting. One statement was, from a couple kids. Again, remember I'm a pastor? There's 160 students who show up on Wednesday night. Uh, and so I heard he's only doing this because he's black. 
I heard that the majority of people he arrests are black. And so I just thought, man, I, I just, I'm afraid this is more, but maybe it's over. You know, maybe it's going to be over. So it's funny. I told you I have a political science degree, but for whatever reason, I don't even know what due process is. I don't know what the next step is. And so mm -hmm. I'm waiting for Newcastle PD to reach out. So I reach out to them and I just want to get to the bottom of this. Like, is this real? Like what, what is, I know filing and, uh, pressing charges. They're two different things. And so what's going to happen? And so finally I got a hold of Newcastle. They kind of processed the report and he just kind of said the same. I think he thought it was a bit uh, weird. Uh, bizarre. It it very yeah. odd, bizarre. And yeah. just said, it kind of made the, the detective kind of almost said, kind of my hands are tied. Like, I don't think nothing's going to come in this map, but I've got to send this to juvenile affairs, which would be for us, McLean County. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Oh goodness. Okay. And again, I, I think it's silly, but I also think charges against number one, my own kid is weird. Uh, happened to make my kids black makes it even more difficult for me. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm in touch with reality somewhat here. And I thought, Oh my gosh, surely he'll drop these and it'll be over. And the detective reached back out to the man and the cop. And he said, no, 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 no. I want to, I want to finish these charges. Mm -hmm. So after I heard that stuff, uh, man, I would confess to you, I, I don't want to be or think I am the, hero of the black community. I don't, but I think I have a voice, uh, especially in this community. I think God's given me a voice of, I mean, there'll be 800 people at church Sunday. Uh, I've got a voice. People love my boys. People know my boys. And I just, mm -hmm. I really thought in this, and this is why I don't want to sound like I'm trying to be a hero here. I just thought, I feel like this is going to happen again. Yeah. And he's going to, if this happens to another black child, whose dad maybe doesn't have the voice that I have, maybe can't stand up and say, man, this is nonsense. I mean, he's a 14-year-old kid that are doing 14-year-old things. No, we don't teach our children to poke kids with mechanical pencils, but there's not been a crime committed here. And so I just thought, you know, I, I just want to do something here. And I don't know what that looks like. And I do think when a DA sees this, I, I do think it's going to be thrown in the trash. I, I just think, though, if we're going to hold people accountable, my son, i.e. my son, if you poke a kid with a piece of jello, you should be held accountable. I understand that, but I think the the punishment should fit the crime. And yeah. so I just thought the, the punishment was, you know, let's call you in and say, listen, don't be doing that stuff. It's it's silly, it's nonsense. If it gets any worse, worse comes. Mm -hmm. So I just thought, man, I, I don't know what this looks like. Uh, I had called and reached out to Norman Police Department, reached out and got a hold of the uh, assistant police chief and said, what, what do I do? I explained to him what I thought and he doing his job just said, well, if you think that and you feel that way, you should file an official complaint. And I said, well, how do you do that? And he said, really, there's a, there's a number of ways you can do that. And so email, come in, et cetera. And so I eventually sent a long email uh, of everything that I suspected uh, police officers I talked to. Uh, I mean, I would tell this story to, and this is where it makes sense for today. I, I told this to a, a really good friend of mine who happens to be black. And I told him this story and he kind of chuckled. He said, this is nonsense, man. But his exact words were, but bro, like nothing you've told me surprises me even a little bit. And he actually works for the school system. And so it just hit me. He said, I've raised five black kids. Uh, it's, it's nothing surprising, man. And I hate it that you're going through it. But like, essentially, he didn't use these words, but I think he essentially said, welcome. Uh, welcome to having teenage black boys. Mm -hmm. So, uh, man, I just thought, let me just see if I can get this on the radar. And again, I, I didn't expect uh, disciplinary action to happen. Uh, quite honestly, I thought yeah, maybe this could be give somebody the powers that be, if that be chief or 
internal affairs or I didn't know who that would be. Maybe if nothing else, they would put it on a radar and they would take some of these uh, statements that have been said uh, a little serious and think, you know, I sent my email. I'll be honest. My email was probably a little dramatic. I just said, you know, if we're, if we're freaking out that much over a, a 0.7 a piece of lead, it yeah. terrifies me that one day he pulls my child over in a police stop and my kid reaches for his license. Uh, and and we know the story, right? It, it happens all yeah. the time. Yeah. And so I just wanted to at least get it on the radar. And if nothing else, if we do nothing with it, well, maybe, just maybe he will think twice and think, man, I can't do this to another black boy or mm-hmm. girl. Matter. I'm yeah. any minority for that matter. Yeah. Well, hey, Pastor, can I, Pastor, can I ask you a question? Certainly. When, when you talk about, I just kind of have to, I just kind of have to get a, a clear picture of it. When you talk about poking, what what did your son say happened, or what did y'all determine that actually happened? So, literally, if you can see my hands, like they're sitting in a desk, and so they're arguing back and forth, and they're sitting, uh, I think, across the aisle, and he said it was like this like a couple times in her arm and she literally said, stop it. And like grabbed the pencil and broke the pencil. Like, it wasn't like this, like, ah, like I'm going to, for blood. It was literally mm-hmm. like this. And so that's why I just thought like, this wasn't, my boys haven't been in a fight, but they're not above that. And so I just thought it wasn't even, I, I wouldn't even call it aggressive behavior. Uh, I just think it was like, you know, like I would probably push you or what, you know what I mean? I th- just think it was just a 14 year old being a 14 year old. And so that's why it felt so bizarre to me. I just thought mm-hmm. it didn't feel like real life to me. I just thought there's no way we're pressing charges over a mechanical pencil that, but again, if, if he'd have drawn blood and we had stitches, that's different to me. But yeah. the principals, I mean, to be fair, saw it two days later, said there was no mark at all. And they looked multiple times. So yeah. Maybe. Yeah. More. Well, and, and, you know, uh, Pastor, uh, and, and to those who are listening, you know, when you reached out to me about this here and explained what you just, how you explained it to me uh, several months ago, it was it was just kind of like here we are. You've got somebody who's in a position. Uh, is that person using his position as influence? You have mm-hmm. to ask yourself that question. Second. Uh, this doesn't rise to the level of of any kind of criminal complaint. Sure. And the fact that it disturbed me when you told me because here here is a young man who's 14 years old, who who has never had any kind of encounter with a police officer, maybe just a school resource <laughs> officer at school, or That's just right. maybe seeing a police officer in passing. That's and right. now all of a sudden, here there's a potential investigation into this assault. And I think for people to, to in a, an assault with a dangerous weapon in Oklahoma, you can get up to a year in jail yeah. or depending on the severity of the injury could be more than that. And so the, the concern that I have, and, and I shared this with you is that here we are in a position where you could easily have a conversation with the parent to say, hey, my daughter came home and told me this here. You know, I would just kind of like to make sure we're we have that, an understanding. That's right. And, and not to take it to the level of saying I want to file an assault with a dangerous weapon, because now when you mentioned that your email was a little dramatic, I think 
that's very dramatic when you start talking about an huh. assault with a dangerous weapon. When you're talking about a mechanical. Is that what? Is that what he? Is that what they found? Yeah, it was assault with a dangerous weapon. That is the craziest. You know. You know what? And it kind of makes me wonder. <clears throat> so. You know, that happened in a jurisdiction where that officer did, had no jurisdiction, although the, he was a peace officer, he had no jurisdiction. But, you know, it kind of gets you to wonder what would have happened if they would have been in the same um, jurisdiction. Sure. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? If that if he had if that officer had had relation. You no, know, fortunately, the Cleveland County where Norman is Cleveland County and McLean, Cleveland County. um the Cleveland County District Attorney also has jurisdiction over McLean County and McLean County too. Yeah. So you know the the thing about it that does get me is <clears throat> what would have happened if that would have occurred in Norman through the rank. Don't know. I, sure. I, I still have good friends there. I would think that there's eighty five percent of those guys, those officers that would have done the right thing and would have said, "I don't know." But then again, you kind of wonder, would he have been that person that would have continued to go to that detective because he had access to him and say, hey, you need to do this. Hey, you need to do that. Hey, sure. you need to do what kind of what kind of discussions were they having? Would they have had behind the scenes? Sure. So I think uh, hats off to the, the detective in Newcastle that basically said you don't have in here. If nothing else, you got horseplay. Right. Yeah. You got, got horseplay. Yeah. And well, you got maybe flirting. You got a kid that likes a girl or a yeah. girl that likes a boy and they got a little flirting, but there was nothing intentional there, nothing well, to hurt anybody. Yeah, well, and, and Keith, you know, one of the other things is the fact that you're supposed to be a, you're, you're a parent, you're an adult, you're in this profession, <laughs> you got to ask yourself that, why? Why would you want to take it to this extent? Sure. To even put it in your mind to file a criminal complaint to say, I want a report taken. Can, can I say something as a as a dad of, of, of three girls? You know, sometimes our emotions get in the way. Sure. And do you feel like, um, you know, well, I got to protect her and I don't want her to think that I won't ever protect her. And man, this is what I got to do. You you got to stop and think, and especially law enforcement. Sure. We actually have to stop and think. Um, you know, we talk every day about not letting our emotions get into place. Um but I mean, I get it. But at the same time, man, come on, dude. Right. I mean, well, I think that they should have been the two. I think he should have given you an opportunity. Hey, let's sit down and talk, or, or try to find out exactly what happened. But I think, man, that could have ruined that kid's life. And I think that's one of the biggest concerns. That, yeah. that you yeah. get, you get from you know, you get from black parents anyway. That okay, or our you know, are our kids just luckily? It was just luckily you had a detective that said this doesn't man you had a principal and a teacher that said man nothing happened right but can you imagine if that had been somewhere oh. else another area where man that could have been blown i mean i, I mean just i think it, it, i mean there's so many things that could have gone wrong there. yeah and i'll say this you, you know and not just you know newcastle has not always had the the best image uh in the black community uh it, it there's some good officers there. And I think, you know, Pastor, I'll share with you somebody yeah. that that I used to work with uh, in Oklahoma City, uh, who's been in Newcastle for a number of years. I think there's actually two officers there that I used to work with. Uh, known the police chief, 
but yeah. it's just a community and you cannot be naive and dismiss it and say these things don't exist sure. uh, in, a, in a community and in a police department that has never that is that doesn't have a diverse police department <laughs> yeah and so people may get a little offended and say well chief what are you trying to say i'm just saying there are some biases <laughs> Uh, within that community and within that police department. And the fact that here, this situation could have taken a whole nother turn because somebody wanted to push the issue. But Keith, this could have stopped with the principal. The principal said, hey, this there wasn't an incident. They're not even calling it an incident. They're just calling it, hey, we addressed it. it it's over with. And really, zero uh, but, punishment was given. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It wasn't, and, they, and you didn't even warrant a lunch detention. Yeah, right. And you, you got to wonder, Pastor and, and and Virgil, that what would have happened if uh, the pastor would have looked like one of us, Virgil? Well, you kind of got to wonder. Well, yeah. and well, I, I mean, well, yeah. also, if, if this would this have happened if this had been another white student? What oh, this would don't know. Yeah, don't know. Yeah. Don't know. Pastor, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. So um, when it, um, how do you, you know, and, and I appreciate your, your candor and things like that. And I want to, I want to talk about um, one thing I really do appreciate in the conversations that we're having here. I've never once observed you try to come off as a hero. And what I mean by that is I'm going to I'm going to go save the world. Sure. I'm going to adopt these, these black boys and yeah. I'm going to show people that I'm not racist. And I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate you just basically being honest and said, hey, these are my boys. You, you know, these, this is where God led me. Yeah. Things like that. And so have you have you had a conversation with any of your friends or do you know anyone else who has gone um, out of country to adopt? Uh, kids, uh, kids who are uh, foreign kids, or who have adopted African American kids. Anyone else in the in a similar situation that you know? Yeah, I, I find myself. Uh, I feel like I'm. A, I was a little late to the party with the even the the uh, oh the <clears throat> advice I was receiving to have these conversations. I find myself now trying to have these conversations. Maybe unwarranted that I that I know what it's like, but at the same time, like. Uh, my other white friends that have adopted black children, maybe even here in the United States, like guys, let's, uh, we didn't deal with it, but it's real. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. around. And so, uh, it's not coming for you, but it's coming for your 12 year old. And yeah. so, uh, yeah. And I try to encourage people, if it be from the barber shop to go have conversations with, you know, uh, when I think about my boys, I think about men in general, but women too, but man, have these conversations with black men, uh, mm -hmm. I need Jesse Brown is a good friend. He's a basketball coach. I need Jesse Brown to say, no, let me tell you why Paul and Timmy, this is how you behave. Cause let me tell you what happened when I did X, you know what I mean? And so yeah, there's a lot I can say because I, there was four of us that ran around together in high school and two of them were black, two of us were white. And so I think I experienced a little bit watching my friends, but not nowhere near as much as you do when it's your own child. Yeah. And so, but I, I need men, you know, like you guys to say, no, 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 no it's not what you heard. This is what happened. And so I'm well, doing my best to search those people out and tell them the bad news, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, in, in, in a few years, 
your 14 year old is going to be driving a car. That's right. And he's going to experience different things that if he has not been prepared to, to, uh, to deal with, yep. then now you're going to be, uh, you know, asking yourself, wow, I should have had that conversation, you know, no four doubt. or five years ago. And so, because unfortunately it's just reality of yeah. what young black boys will experience and even just walking down the street uh, sure. experiencing. And I know Chief Humphrey asked you earlier, you know, about, you know, in the community, uh, uh, has there been, you know, anything come up? Because there again, you mentioned the fact of, hey, they want to go to the coach's house and, you know, throw toilet paper around and you're like no i just don't that's not a good look yeah uh, because again the culture of policing needs to change and we create a lot of problems ourselves instead of being helpful not yeah. all police officers are that way we always talk about that and say hey it's just that small two percent but that small two percent can cause a lot of harm and can, yeah. can can really ruin a young black boy's life, a young black girl's life, and ruin parents' life because of the influence that they have. And so yeah. I think that is a bigger conversation that we try to have on our podcast, on, on You and the Law podcast, is that this is about you and the law. Yeah. And, and oftentimes people don't know the law, but police officers do, and they abuse that sure. uh and so that's why it's really important for our young kids to know what their rights are mm -hmm. uh you can't really solve you can't fight a police officer on the side of the road that's but right. uh there again you just need to know the basics so your rights are not violated yeah <clears throat> it, it's forced us to have conversations about driving is coming and so yeah, uh, I think I think it was last Christmas. I uh, actually we were in Colorado coming home and I got pulled over. Man, I haven't been pulled over literally in probably 15 years. No kidding. Mm -hmm. My wife tells me I drive like a grandma, but <laughs> got pulled over. Had no idea why I was getting pulled over. But I literally because we've had these conversations, it kicked in. OK, do exactly what you would want them to do. I, I don't know if you should or not. You could tell me as police officers, but I rolled all four windows down. I made sure my hands were up, make sure they know everything. Uh, make sure when when they walk by, you boys look at me, <coughs> etc. Mm -hmm. And so, even that just made me because what you said a second ago, two percent. And I may be wrong here, men, but my legitimate opinion would be, uh, police officers are pastors. I don't know that one of them is more racist. I just think the consequences are worse when it happens to be a police officer. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I told them, my boys after this happened. I said, you know, let's just say I was the racist as a pastor. It's awful, and I would hate the thought, but what's the consequences? A black family comes in, and we treat them poorly. I hate that, but that is the worst thing, that we're not nice, we're not friendly. I said, if you come across that person who happens to have a firearm, the mm -hmm. consequences are just worse. And so- Dead, They can be oh, deadly. That's it. So wow. all I, I have never, ever- Heard it that way. Well, and all the cops we know, uh, you can see Matt Perry, I think, is on here. Yeah, he Matt. Yeah, security Matt's for on. our church. He's a black yeah. man, but they love him. We have white cops in our church. Most of the, I'd say 99.9% .9 of the interaction we have so far has been fabulous with cops. And so mm -hmm. I don't want to paint to my boys that you've got to duck every time you see a cop, but 
when you get, and I'll just call them the knucklehead because they're in my industry too. When you get the one knucklehead, it, it, it's just, it's a lot more on the line. And so, you know, this is one thing I wanted to say earlier, pastors, that police officers don't understand the consequences of their actions when it involves somebody who don't, don't look like them. They right. only thing they're thinking about is the fact yeah. that I'm enforcing the law. This is what I need to do. These guys do not think about the consequences after the fact, because once they do everything up front, yeah. they move on and there could be another victim. No, but that's, that's, they're not going to think about how they made that 14 year old or 15 year old feel or even even a grown man feel yeah. because that's just the way that, that police officers are programmed. And and I have to say this, and I think this is where your platform of being a pastor you have over you say over 800 people attend your your church there's i've made this comment before on our podcast on a sunday there are two sundays are very segregated and it's been yeah. across this country no a, a lot uh and then third policing is one of the most segregated industries there is because of the racial divide that has never been resolved. And so <clears throat> until we come together and have these uncomfortable conversations uh, where someone like yourself, who is very well respected in the community, who who has that platform, who who has a connection to the community, we got to start having these conversations with people who are in the profession that we're in sure. for them to understand this could have been very traumatic for a 14 year old boy right. and could have now all of a sudden, even the most, everything you've taught your child about, Hey, respect police officers, uh, be nice, be courteous. And at some point you get a bad cop and all of a sudden now he thinks everybody is the same. Sure. And so will we have a hundred percent of the police officers who are, who should be doing every single thing? No, I right. mean, it's just the world we live in. But I think this is something that we really need to continue to talk about because if we wanna stop this pattern of behavior, it has to start with having these conversations. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I think our profession, don't don't ever say that word segregated in, in Little Rock, man, because the officers there get upset, man. <laughs> you say stuff, but it's fact. And I've had managed to say the most segregated time uh, day of the week is Sunday it's morning. Sunday morning, yeah, it is. Yeah. The yeah, yeah, it is. And and so, you know, um, Pastor, man, this is this hour goes by quick. It does, uh, man. and yeah. so we could go on for another hour, but you know. Uh, Hopefully this is something that we can kind of come back and and and, and have a conversation about because yeah. there again, uh, I think it's real important because we've had uh, a lot of people uh, tune into the to the podcast. We, you know, we had uh, Gene Jones and uh, Tony Hollis. And, My man. Uh, My man. You know, uh, uh, we had uh, you know quite a few other people. Uh, Pam was on. So uh, again, I think you know. Here it is, you've adopted these two young men, no matter how, you know, 
And the one thing I think, even when you talk about adoption, that is just a whole nother topic by itself. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but I think our focus is on uh, the conversation is that when does this uh, involve something that could uh, that could really be harmful to mm -hmm. young black young black boys and, and young black girls? Uh, and oftentimes, I think the boys have it a, a lot. They they experience it more yeah. than than uh, than girls do. So uh, I, there was a there was an, well that we that we hear about. Yeah, that we hear, I, 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 I think that we hear about well, it, and know. you know, as we as we sit here, we we're talking. It brings me to an incident that happened. I want to say in Garland, in Garland, or somewhere in the Dallas Fort Worth area, a couple of years. McKinney. McKinney, McKinney, where the yeah. police officer threw the young black girl down with the two piece bathing suit on, as if she was some grown woman, and mm -hmm. this girl, and he's on top of her, and in a bathing suit, it just didn't look right, and so. Then it reminds me of another incident, Pastor, where uh, this uh, young black boy was riding in the car with his mother, who is white, and the the police officer is called, and they stopped the woman, and the police officer actually asked this lady, "Was she safe? Was she okay?" Mm -hmm. And so, uh, very disturbing. And so she had to explain to this officer that's my son or that's my grandson. Yeah. And so uh, there again, I want to get to, I think one of the comments before we uh, we're coming up on, we're a little over time, but Matt says, I really wish we could say this is the last time, but this would uh, happen to him, but it's not. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Pastor, he says, Matt, you guys probably experienced it just going out to dinner with the boys. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you are doing with it with sure. those boys. You guys are, are great parents. So, you know, you know, Pastor, and I think one of the things as we you know come to a close is that what you and your wife have, have done with these young boys, these are your sons. You had them since they were two years old. Uh, that is in itself is something that mm. needs to be uh, acknowledged. The fact that and you, and I'm pretty sure these are some smart boys. You know, yeah. uh, besides football, they're going to be uh, they're going to be some, some some smart students no in the world to be uh, the, to be good young men uh, in that in, in in the community. No, bro, don't you talk about football? Hey, man, <laughs> you don't talk about sports. Hey, you, you, that's that's all. You know, leave that out of your vocabulary. <laughs> See, see, Pat. This is what I got to put up with every. I know every it's weekend, week out for you. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 yeah, yeah. man. But uh, you know, hopefully, Pastor. You know, this has brought uh, some attention to uh, something that you didn't think you would ever have that talk. And and I think yeah. you know, having that talk with these young boys is is very important. Uh, and now you kind of probably now you see how young you know parents. Uh, uh, your friends have had that talk with their, 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 with yeah. their sons and daughters. So, so yeah. Good. Uh, any, uh, you got anything else to say? Swaggy? No, man, as long as you, man, I don't talk. Hey, you know, as long as you don't try to talk about sports and football and, you know, pastor, I'll have that conversation with you. You, you have a right to have that conversation. <laughs> Someone who's never been an athlete doesn't have had that conversation. Uh. <laughs> 
Well, well, Pastor, I tell you what, it, it has been great, sir. And, and uh, you know, we won't, we won't, uh, uh, this won't be your last time. We'll ask you to come great. on and, and to be a guest. Yeah, and to be a guest on our podcast. And when I get back to, uh, to Oklahoma City area, I'll look you up and uh, uh, meet you in person. So, uh, again, I just. Why don't, you go, why don't you go to church, Murph? Well, hey, if I'm there on a Sunday, yeah. Yes, you will. Come yeah. on. Yeah, say that, man. Say, say yeah. don't talk about lunch and stuff. Say, hey, Pastor, well, I love hey, come your kids. Hey, we got he, four services, four of them. Just pick one. Well, on. so, so, Pastor, let everybody know where you're at in Newcastle. Yeah. Victory Family Church in Newcastle. Um, and we are, are four years old. Uh, four experiences we have 8 30, 10, 11 30, and one o'clock. Lord is doing incredible things. Uh, we are very aware that Sunday is the most segregated day of the week. And even one of our core values is diversity is important to us. If I had my rathers, I would place an uh, older black woman here, a young white kid here, a Native American here. I would put uh, an Indian here, etc. I do believe heaven will be the most diverse place there is. It is a travesty that our churches are not more like that. Well, are you all, did you all, do you not have a campus in Norway? Well, yes, sir, we do. Why, uh, on flood, we, we, used, we used to belong to that church. Yep, yeah, man. When we lived there, we used to belong, and I know that the pastor was they had was talking about a satellite uh church in Newcastle, so we were members of, of Victory, yeah, man. Um, Norman, yeah, that's us, yeah, yeah, Pastor Adam Starling is the senior pastor, absolutely, absolutely. So, so, absolutely. so how many different locations uh, do you all have? Is, is there one in, right. in is there one in more as well? No, there's Norman, Newcastle, Shawnee, and Chickasha right now. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Amazing, amazing services and a very strong youth program. Yeah. Well, well, Pastor, uh, you just mentioned uh, on Sundays the most segregated uh, day of the week, and I mm -hmm. think you know this is going to open us up to come back and have another conversation Love to get to your you. perspective on that and how that can change. It's not so much something that. Uh, we would probably talk about on 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 the on the podcast sure. show, but uh, there again, could something potentially like that? Because everybody likes to to call the police on, on for for some reason, uh, yeah. uh, and, and so I always tell them, do not if if unless it's an alarm call or there's something, you know, let the pastors at the church deal with the problem. Sure. Unless somebody's got a weapon or they're fighting, but right. you, you know, because when you start putting cops in churches with guns, unless they're there for a safety reason, uh, yeah. it's it's not good. So uh, we need to just stay away from that. So, but uh, Pastor Porter, we appreciate you and uh, uh, man, and uh, as, you know, I know I'm gonna say this last thing on football, man. Uh, you know, I know football season is coming up, so I know you guys are going to be out uh, on, on Friday nights. Uh, That's right. That's yes, game. Yep. So, yes, sir. So we appreciate it, sir. And we'll uh, we'll be talking with you soon. And want to remind everybody, uh, if you miss any parts of this uh, broadcast, you can check us out on our uh, YouTube channel, You and the Law Podcast Show. And you can check us out on Spotify, any platform that you listen to on uh uh, on podcast, you can check us out. And Pastor, please share this with uh, with your church and I let will. them know they can go back and they can listen to some of our podcast shows. And uh, it's always good when we can grow our audience. Uh, I do. And, and hopefully, 
our uh, uh, what we talk about helps help some people uh, with some informative uh, topics. So, um, but yeah, hey everyone, we will be uh, together again with Chief Swaggy One with his new glasses on next Thursday uh, at six p.m. So thanks, guys. thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, oh, appreciate it, Pastor. Take care. Tell those boys and say hello. Yeah, it. likewise. All right. Have a good night, sir. Yes, sir.